What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. You know, I think so much of life is a discovery. It's a discovery of who you are. It's a discovery of how you're created. And for anybody in leadership, I think it just takes a while to find your voice. Well, today, in this episode of Lynch with the Leader, episode 174, we hopefully will help you find that voice that we believe that the Lord put inside you to lead where you are today. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and I am so excited to join you on this leadership journey as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. What a great episode we have lined up for you today with Holly Moore, the president of Hollis Strategies, an Atlanta-based company that helps develop growth and content strategies to help individuals and organizations become all that they're created to be, to grow in their influence and to grow in their stature. You're going to have a lot of good content to sift through today. You know, I know many of you are long-time listeners. This podcast started back in the fall of 2017, and the goal of the podcast was to expose you to some of America's greatest leaders and how they have learned to lead with their faith out in front. And we've had some amazing ones on through the years. In fact, I'm already starting contacting people for 2024 episodes. So if there's somebody you want to hear from, boy, reach out to me, Mike.Lynch, L-I-N-C-H, at NorthStarChurch.org, or you can reach me via Twitter at 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 Mike Lynch, L-I-N-C-H, and that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me if you've got an episode, somebody you would like to hear from, somebody you would like to learn from, and I will sure do my best to reach out to them and see if we can have them on because we want to add value to you and your leadership. If you have found this, this podcast and these episodes to help you, it would be a huge thing for me if you would hit pause go leave a rating and review on iTunes or Stitcher share it on your social leave a comment because it helps so many other people that may not know about this find their way to it and you never know it may drive them to an eternal decision just because you were kind enough to go do that. Well, today's going to be a great one. If you don't know Holly Moore, you're going to want to know Holly Moore. She is a certified five voices coach. She is a practitioner of Myers-Briggs. She has over 14 years of executive experience with nonprofit organizations from being the vice president and chief operating officer of Growing Leaders with Tim Elmore to vice president of advancement for Mercy Ships, you are going to just enjoy Holly so much. So I don't know where you're listening from. I don't know what else you got in store today, but today is going to be one you want to take some notes. So I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Holly Moore. Well, Holly, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. I'm excited to be here. I've seen it on my calendar and was counting down the days. Till well, we get that that makes my day. That's because you hadn't met me yet. So that's good. <laughs> that's good. After you meet me, you might not be counting down the days so quickly. I could, I can, uh, might get on, might get on your nerves a little bit going, Hey, you mentioned the guy here. I want to, I want to talk about, I <laughs> love your story because it's such a varied story. You've had your hands in so many things, but take me back to Holly growing up. You know, some kids they're right now, they're strutting their stuff on playgrounds and you're like, they are going to be a leader one day or their class president in second grade. They're, they're taking over and getting kids extra milk at, at, at lunch. That wasn't your story though, was it? Not at all. Um, I would say um, 
Mike, I've got a book on my bookshelf at home called Leo, the late bloomer. Mm -hmm. I sometimes feel like in a lot of areas in my life, it was a bit of a late bloom, but here's what I would say. And maybe some of your listeners can relate to this, Mike. I grew up in a home that experienced a lot of trauma. Uh, my dad just had a lot of issues and had some addiction issues that really just so impacted growing up for us, Mike, that I often will tell people, people will say, oh, well, did you have dreams? What did you want to be when you were growing up? And I would say, Mike, I really didn't have any. In many ways, we were in survival mode. And so I remember by the time I got to my senior year of high school, I mean, Mike, I wasn't even sure, am I going to go to college? What am I going to study? I had never been in a leadership position, nothing. And I just through a miraculous um, intervention of God was able to go to a Christian university, um, Oral Roberts University. God just opened up the door for me to get to go there. And while I was there, Mike, someone who is still a dear friend of mine, her name was Connie Schoberg gave me my very first leadership position. And Mike, I think sometimes I just, I think how sweet of the Lord that, you know, he knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows what we're capable of. He knows the way that ways that he has gifted us, the strengths that we have. But sometimes we just are in a place where we can't see it. Mm. And then sometimes God just brings somebody along our path that Connie opened a door for me Mike, that I would not have tried to push and open that door myself, but she opened the door to that. And then as I began to step into that leadership role, I began to think, oh, I think I've got some intuition in this area. And it really was such a transformative moment for me. So in many ways, in all the different things I've done in my career, I kind of look back at that pivotal moment, which Mike, I'll say, as I've gone throughout my life, when you think of things like that, doesn't it make you want every single day to say, God, please give me your eyes for other people? Because we just have, I don't know that she realized the impact that she was going to have on my life when she did that. So when she did that, as y'all talked about it, because I know you've remained close friends. Yep. Did she say why? Did she say what it was about you that she called that out in you? She did. So what's interesting is the, the leadership position that she gave me was a resident advisor. Well, Mike, the year before I had been the roommate of a resident advisor, that was about as close to leadership as I was going to get to be the roommate of the leader. And so when Connie called me, in essence, what she said was, I've observed you, I've watched you. And Mike, in so many words, what she said to me was, Holly, you have what it takes. Mm, I mm. See, she saw something in me and kind of called it out. And she said, I believe that you have what it takes to be able to do this. And I find that so often from the leadership position I had in college, all the way up to the work that I do in corporate America, my, I think so many people are, it's almost like people walk around with this question mark over their head. And they're wanting to know, does that leader have belief in them? Mm. Do mm. they believe they have what it takes? And are they going to call that person? You know what it is, Mike? It's the difference between calling out and calling up. Mm. You know, sometimes people are going to call somebody out on something. I think as Christ followers and leadership, especially in the business arena, and I mean, even as educators in the sports world, whatever that might be, could God use us to call people up? into something to fulfill their calling. So you think about, so there's a couple pivots off this I'd love to take. You think about that. Connie doesn't see that in you. You go on, you get your degree at Oral Roberts. You knew Christ at this point. You had a faith. What would look different about your life now if that conversation never happened? I believe without sounding overly dramatic, Mike, I believe that she literally changed the trajectory of my life because do you know how in scripture it tells us that without a vision, people perish? I think that I would have, like you said, I would have sort of figured out a degree, 
I, I mean, listen, we serve a loving God, and I'm sure that he would have looked after me and been very faithful to me. However, I believe God used her and it changed the trajectory. And now that I'm older, Mike, and I can look back on my life, I can see this thread of mm -hmm. leadership. I've often described it this way, Mike. I think sometimes people feel very called maybe to a location, right? Some people have a long obedience in the same direction. They found a church. They're there for a long time. They... Um, are an educator in the system for X number of years. They found a business and they work in that same business for decades until they turn it over to a successor. <clears throat> and I have so much respect for that. I have often described it this way, Mike. I have felt like God has called me to a role as opposed to a particular place or industry. And I have been able to fulfill that leadership role in a variety of settings. Mm. And I think that it really started back with Connie. It's so funny. So I'm assuming, because I went to Liberty, so I'm assuming to get an ORU back then, you had to have a faith. You you have a faith in Christ. When you discovered the leader in you, what did it do for your faith? What changed about your faith not not God loved you more. We know that's not the case. But what happened in your faith and how your faith acted out when you began to see, okay, I think God can use me? What would you say? So one of my life verses all the way back from school. Now, Mike, I'm going to age myself. So when when I was in college, the message wasn't even around, but we really liked the Living Bible because it said verses in very, um, you know, everyday language. Yep. And this is the verse that I clung to in college. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in the Living Bible says this, in everything you do, put God first mm. and he will direct you and crown your efforts with success. And I often, if people ask me, Holly, kind of what's been your life philosophy? I'm like that, because I'll tell you what leadership did, like, is it drove me to my knees. Mm -hmm. I actually talked with a group about this um, yesterday. I was out in Colorado talking to a group of leaders. Um, these were people that work in a faith-based nonprofit. And I said, when I began to step into leadership, it drove me to my knees because I knew that I did not just Holly on my own. Mike, I did not have what it took. Mm -hmm. I have not Holly on my own could not have done any job I've ever had in my whole entire life. But when it causes this greater dependence upon the Lord and I began to, to whisper a prayer to the Lord every day, Mike, God, give me the wisdom, discernment and favor I need to fulfill your calling mm -hmm. today. And I, so I guess the long answer to your question, how has that impacted my leadership? It was, it drove me to my knees, reminded me constantly of my dependence upon the Lord. But then living that way, Mike, I could tell you story after story after story where I feel like God, even when I was in a corporate career with a publicly traded company, I could look back and say, God Help me have godly wisdom in that situation. Mm, mm. God gave me supernatural discernment. He helped me discern something that I would not have been able to know on my own. And God has given me exceptional favor. And so this, um, it's walking hand in hand with the Lord as we fulfill this leadership calling, but always reminding ourselves, Mike, it's John 15. We can't do anything on our own, but with him, all things are possible. That's right. You know what I love about it, too? We were teaching this past Sunday, and we talked about detours are part of the journey, right? Yeah. No, nothing, nothing in our faith life is ever a straight line, ever. Mm -hmm. And so I know we've got some 20-somethings on here that are up-and-comers that go, I know where I want to be, and one day I want to be like Holly and and have my own consulting firm and go and work with businesses and travel and teach Myers-Briggs and all the, the the six working geniuses by Lencioni. And I want to be able to do that. That is like a dream job. You didn't just end up in that job. You, you spent yeah. 25 years, you spent a season of that in the nonprofit world working with mercy ships. I did. What, 
What did you learn during that season that helps you today as you go in and work with businesses? And this is what this is how I'd answer that question. Just even if somebody is young and listening, first of all, I just can so relate to listen, you're in your 20s, you've got big dreams for your life. And I want, I want to be wind in the sail, not to squash that or to stifle that. This is what I'd say, Mike, is, and I had somebody tell me this when I was in high school, is that the wonderful thing about our walks with the Lord, Mike, is he does not waste any experience. And somehow in God's brilliant wisdom, I honestly can say this is true, that I could never have done the next thing that he called me to do if I had not had every single experience prior to that. Do you know, I believe it's in Psalms, there's one where it says, line upon line, precept upon precept. So what I would say is, is dig into every opportunity that you have, because it's not going to be for a waste. It's building, 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 building. And now in the season that I'm in right now, Mike, it's, I've got all these past experiences, successes, some abysmal failures and everything in between, but I'm going to draw on that. And I would not be able to do what I'm doing now if I had not had every single experience, which one of them was was with Mercy Ships. So I got to be with Mercy Ships two times, Mike. The first time was in my late 20s, and I actually lived on the ship for two years. Wow. And part of the year, I was working on the medical team because I actually have my bachelor's of science in nursing. And so I was uh, working as a nurse on the ship. And then um, the other half of the year, I got to do communication with medical supply companies, pharmaceutical com- companies, physicians, and would get um, get them to donate supplies to the ship that we needed. And Mike, what's so interesting is here I am involved in medical missions, and I'm learning how to talk to corporate executives about donating medical supplies. Are you kidding? I use that experience all the time as I learned to do that. And then Mike, about 10 years later, after I had had my corporate career, Don Stevens, who's the founder of Mercy Ships, just a phenomenal leader, invited me back to Mercy Ships. And I was there for two and a half years um, serving on their executive team. So both of those experiences just learned a lot. And um, yeah, so grateful. For those experiences. So, and I know you spent a lot of years in the nonprofit world, in the healthcare industry, in the mercy ships, and you spent a lot of time in the for-profit world. What is, what is something they all have in common that is a struggle they all deal with? What would you say? Uh, people, <laughs> people, not, a, not us, but other right. people, right? That's, that's, right. that's right. This is what I always just listen I don't care if you are on Wall Street today, if you're in some amazing venture capital firm out in California, if you're a nonprofit, I don't care where you are. It is human beings interacting with other human beings. And here's what I would say, Mike, I actually think and and have just really come to learn that I think there's five metrics to any high performing team, no matter where you are. And I think they're sequential. I think the first one is communication, which leads to trusting relationships, which allows you to get to alignment, which then allows you to execute at a really high level and then build capacity. The problem is for-profit, non-profit, Mike, we want to jump to the execution and we just want to push people and go do more, do it faster, build capacity, grow, grow, grow. And listen, I'm a very goal-oriented person. I want us to grow as well. But Mike, the commonality, depending on any situation is, if we cannot hone our communication skills to be able to say, how am I transmitting and receiving information? How am I communicating with other people? And how do I use my communication skills to build trusting relationships? If that foundation is not there, I believe it's impossible mm-hmm. for a team to fully fulfill their potential. And so so I would just say, no matter what setting you're in, from a leadership perspective, first of all, I've got to lead myself first, right? 
I'm not, if I'm not leading Holly, well, how yeah. in the world can I lead anybody else? But the focus on communication and relationships and just the ripple effect that that has, I think that impacts everybody. And it's got to be so much more than a sheet of paper by the door or a sign that I was just in a, in a meeting the other day with a good friend of mine who does a lot of work like you do. And he said, you know, a lot of companies just want the tag. They want the phrase. They want to say it. If, if our people, all right. So we're assuming a lot of people listening into this are corporate leaders in some environment. They may be a principal of a school or an athletic director or a CEO or a managing partner on the way up, you know, somebody that's in the, in the system. If, if they don't get the people part right as a leader, managing themselves and managing others, what would you say is the future longevity of their leadership if they never figure out the people part? I think they're in for a really bumpy, rocky road. Mm. So Here's what I'd say about this. So I want your leaders, uh, your listeners, maybe to just kind of imagine this visual. Um, my really good friends, um, Jeremy Kubitschek and Steve Cockrum, actually came up with this through Giant Worldwide, which is an organization that I, I get some of my, use some of their content in my consulting practice. But I think this will answer the question that you just gave me. I want you to think about this. If you think of this vertical axis of support, Are you a leader that it's natural for you to give a lot of support? You're a cheerleader for the people on your team, or are you just like, Hey, you're getting a paycheck, do what you need to do. You know, let's everybody just kind of buck up and get your job done. Right. There's this whole, uh, there's this whole thing from very high support to very low support. If you look at a horizontal axis, let's look at challenge. Some people they are very ambiguous. They don't set up the challenge. It's The challenge is very low, right? But other people, you and I know leaders, and listen, there have been times when I've been this way. I've been very, very, very challenging, right? Of like what I demanded and I want us to do this. I want us to do that. So here, I want you to think about this. In this lower quadrant, Mike, if I'm a leader that I'm constantly challenging, I'm trying to push, we need to execute, we need to increase our capacity, we need to grow, but I do not know how to calibrate that with high support, then what happens, Mike, is I unwittingly create a dominator culture. Mm. And you get a whole lot of stuff done, but people do it because they're either afraid of you or they feel manipulated by you. And Mike, there have been times in my past that I think there's probably some people you could talk to that maybe they felt that Mm -hmm. for me, right? My drive to want to get things done, my drive to want to accomplish, I was not always as good as I needed to be to calibrate that high support and high challenge and to use my communication and relationship skills to make sure that, that there was a really good balance. I think that conversely, you can get leaders that are all support and low challenge, Mike. Well, that creates a bad situation too. It's almost this protector culture, but here's the problem. People don't get a lot done, Mike, because they didn't communicate well. There's lots of ambiguity. People aren't sure what's the standard. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to accomplish? And I don't think that's what we want either. But I think, Mike, if you and I looked back and we thought whether it was our Burger King boss in high school or a coach or a teacher or a boss that we currently have, the very best leaders have learned how to calibrate mm-hmm. high support and high challenge That's good. to empower their people and liberate them to be their very best selves. And I would make the argument, Mike, that if I'm going to calibrate high support and high challenge, I do that through my words, through my communication, through my actions. Think about it. If I want to be able to bring high challenge to someone, if I have not done the work to establish a really strong trusting relationship, it's going to be very, very hard for that person to receive that challenge. So I think it's, I think, as you said, what's the role of communication and relationships It's because we're trying to create a liberator culture where we're calibrating this high support and high challenge and bringing out the best in people. 
That's really good. What I love about that, Holly, is that's exactly what Jesus did with the disciples, right? Yes. He called it out of them and Jesus. and left and left them challenges they didn't think in and of themselves they could do. But it was, I think it was so interesting how every one of his conversations with his different guys was different exactly. because of their personalities. And I know you're big into Myers-Briggs. You know, yes. if, if as a leader we don't understand their communication style, how they receive feedback, or are they, are they going to sit and ponder it? Do they give me an immediate answer? That's really, really, really good stuff there. Yeah. Um, you know, trust, I know, is a piece of that. Lencioni writes so much on trust. Exactly. How is trust as a leader? What is a, what's a tip you would give somebody in building trust within their teams, both with them to the team and the team with each other. Yeah. So here's one thought. And again, Mike, I would say, you know, if you and I had longer or just could sit and talk and even with listeners, I would tell them, I can give you some examples in my life and my career that I did this really, really well. But I want to be really honest with you. I could also tell you situations where I did not do this well. Right. Yep. So we're all learning and we're all growing and we're all developing. And so I think that the thing that I love about Jesus, you mentioned him, he calibrates high support and high challenge with us, too. And he's always calling me up, helping me learn and lead. So I think I wanted to say that because I want to make sure my sometimes I think you hear from leaders on different podcasts and things and they're kind of come from from this place like they just got it all figured out. I'm just going <laughs> Everybody just listen to this. <laughs> this is not somebody that's got it all figured out. I've done it really well that's and I've right. done it so well. But as I look back and can evaluate, here's a thought about building trust. I think that people want to be with a leader that they know is fighting for their highest possible good. That's good. Mm. Because so let's go. Okay. That sounds kind of like a cliche. What does that actually mean? Well, if I'm fighting for your highest possible good is number one, it's what we said before. I'm going to call you up, right? Not call you out. I'm going to, to give you opportunities. I'm going to be focused on your growth. I'm going to be a person that speaks belief in you. But what I'm also going to do, Mike, if I'm fighting for your highest possible good is if I see a pattern or a tendency that's undermining your credibility or undermining your influence, then what does the Bible teach us? Teach us? It says to speak the truth in love. So I'm going to find a way that I'm going to I'm going to be able to do that, because here's the thing, Mike, I think that if to be on the other side of us, if people say, the leader that I have tells me the truth, then what happens, Mike, is when that leader gives you a compliment, you go, I can take that compliment to the bank because right. they wouldn't tell me if they didn't think that was true. But I don't have to worry that this leader is like piling up all these things that they don't like about me. And then all of a sudden I'm going to be hit with a surprise or I get this inner review and they're going back and telling me about something they didn't like what I did six months ago. Right. It just like, obliterates trust, right? So you want to be somebody that says, I can trust what that person tells me. If they gave me a compliment, I can take it to the bank. Mm -hmm. If something isn't going wrong, if I'm not performing well, if I'm not meeting a standard, they are bringing that to my attention. They're helping me to understand that. And Mike, once you bring something to somebody's attention, then you continually notice. And if you begin to see, you've grown, I noticed you do better, you're actually recognizing that, right? So I guess I would say, in summary, in many ways, I think that we build trusting relationships, whether it's professionally or personally, is does the person that you're in relationship with, would they be able to say, I know that person is fighting for my highest possible good? Let's say a leader sits and you're sitting across, you've come in to do a team environment, which I know happens a lot. You meet with the team and then the CEO pulls you off to the side and you're in their office and they go, Holly, I haven't done that well. I I have failed probably more in that category than in any of the other categories. 
what would you tell them would be some first steps to building that back with their team? I think that it's going to take some appropriate vulnerability, Mike, because it's, well, let me step back from that. I'd say, number one, if that leader told me that, the first thing I would say to that leader is I would say, I commend you for being willing to even look at yourself. That's a pretty powerful thing when you're willing to kind of hold up that mirror and be able to say, okay, let me take an honest assessment of myself. And I, I, it takes a lot of courage to do that. So I would say, first of all, I commend you for even being willing to ask the question. Mm-hmm. And then second of all, I remember years ago, Mike, that, um, I worked in a corporate environment and one of our core values as a company was managed by fact. And I have really carried that with me. And I think on a real practical level, probably one of the things I might recommend is that that leader pursue doing some type of 360 review Mm -hmm. and to really be very, very candid. Um, And I work with a lot of leaders and, and I do this kind of work and I get them to say, hey, I'm asking you to participate in this 360 review and I want you to hear from me. I am asking for your candid feedback. As I've evaluated my leadership, I know there's there's things that I'm doing that are really helpful and there may be some areas that I have a blind spot or I could be better and I'm only gonna get better if I get feedback and invite that feedback. I want to hear it then might do that 360 review, whatever way you can to be able to get feedback, then you've got to be able to sit and look at that and go, what are the themes, right? What, what are the, what are the issues? What, what are, what are people experiencing, right? You've heard it. A lot of people say it these days, asking the question, what does it feel like to be on the other side of me? Yep. Need to be able to ask that and get the answer. But Mike, here's where trust begins to get built is you ask for the feedback and then you actually follow up and you say, thank you so much for this feedback. Here are some things that I have learned. I'm doing this and I think this is helpful. And I want you guys to know I'm going to try to do more of that. But these are some areas that it looks like I need to to pay more attention to. And so here are some specific things that I'm going to be working on. Do you see if somebody you actually invited my feedback, you listened, you actually told me this is what I'm going to do to work on it. And then you actually follow through. I just think that people will respond to that, Mike, because I think at the end of the day, all of us know we're all a work in progress. Mm. But I think when somebody has an appropriate level of vulnerability, authenticity, and willing to say, I'm going to grow and I'm going to pursue your feedback to do that, um, I think it's a really powerful way to begin to rebuild trust. And the second thing I would say, Mike, is sometimes I work with leaders and they're going, okay, I figured it out. This is a problem. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to solve it. And sometimes I say, Hey, listen, people's perception of you was developed over a fairly long period of time. You can't come back and say, well, I really handled myself much better in that meeting, or I did staff meeting a whole lot better. And because everybody doesn't just like shout hallelujah that you've changed after you did it once. I'm like, you might have to do that 37 times. And then people go, oh, she was serious. Mm. She's actually changed. So I would say, get the feedback, be responsive to it, and then be very consistent in your actions that are working to build trust. And instead of getting frustrated or disappointed when people don't just automatically, um, you know, maybe open their door completely to you again, just know it's going to take some consistency and some repetitive behavior and it's worth it. I totally agree. And I think that's incredibly well said. And I think that's where we find ourselves because we're all a work in progress. You never make it in leadership. You never, you never get there, 
right? You just never get there. It's always like this carrot out in front of us that we keep, we keep getting. Now we may reach seasons that we're able to help people, but it doesn't mean that we're, that we're finished. You brought up something. I was listening to one of your talks. Uh, it was on YouTube and it was so good. And you talked about these leadership voices and, and you said there's five key voices that we all have. So I'm a big disc person. So okay. I know Myers-Briggs is big. Disc is big. Enneagram now is a huge deal. They're yes. all a part of saying the same things. We're all wired by God in a particular way. These voices I thought were so unique. And I'd love to hone in on these a little bit, Holly. You said one of the voices is the nurture voice unpack for everybody in a minute or two what is the nurture voice because as they're listening and they're driving most of them are familiar with their personalities and and their behavior systems what would you what would you say the nurture voice is and how is that nurture voice used in leadership so if it's okay mike if it's okay if i can just back up before i answer that question Let me kind of give some context for five voices. So you and I both love, I mean, listen, I love personality assessments. Anything that I can do that's going to help me know myself better. So listen, through the years, Myers-Briggs, DISC, Berkman, Enneagram. I mean, there's so many out there. And I would say anything that I can learn that helps me understand a tendency, a pattern, that's just going to help me lead myself better. So you're right. I did get my Byers-Briggs certification a number of years ago, did it with a lot of people, very familiar with DISC and Enneagram as well. Here was the struggle that I had, Mike, is I would spend time with people, lots and lots of time. I thought I had done a pretty decent job of explaining it. I would come back later People couldn't remember it. Yep. They didn't know how to apply it. And Mike, if I walked up to you today and I just said, hey, I'm Holly, I'm an INFJ. Well, is that immediately going to let you know, well, this is how I should interact with yep. Holly or yep. this might be a blind spot. Or even, listen, I love Enneagram and I'm not disparaging it at, at all. And I'm sure if more people, you know, the more you get into it, the yep. more you can learn. But if somebody just all of a sudden comes up and hits me cold and says, I'm a three with a two wing, I'm sort of just trying to think, okay, let me just remember what's a three, what's a two. So the five voices is rooted in Myers-Briggs. Very good. What Again, giant, Jeremy Kubitschek and um, Steve Cockrum, what they did, and especially Steve, to me, he was the Jedi master of Myers-Briggs. He was my mentor that really taught me how to use that instrument. What five voices does is it maps the five voices to each of the 16 profiles. But all I have to remember is one of the five voices. And the reason why I have found it to be so sticky with the client work that I do is, is the word itself, like you just mentioned, one of them is nurture. Well, I can remember nurture. And just by essence of the word, I could begin to get a clue oh, this is this person's superpower, right? So the five voices are nurturer, creative, guardian, connector, and pioneer. And so, yes, you, Mike, you and I could talk and you could go, oh, well, I think that equates to this on disc or that equates to this on Enneagram. And I would say, yes, so maybe it just validates what you know. The reason why I use it so much is it's sticky. Yep. It helps people remember So with that as a context, here's a couple of things to know. The nurture is the champion of people, relational harmony, and values. This is the person on your team or the leader that filters every decision they make through people. Nurture does not mean you lead, you're a female and you lead a preschool. All right. I don't like that. We don't want to stereotype that. A man could be a incredibly strong leader and a nurturer. But what I know about that leader is he or she filters their decisions through how will people be impacted? How are people going to feel about this? And that they feel most comfortable when they're making uh, decisions rooted in values and that they are creating a culture where relational harmony is deeply valued. Yep. I love that. And I love that because you don't know how bad you need nurturers on teams 
till they're gone. Cause you, when you, as you were going through it and I was listening to you yesterday, you know, all I could think of, I, I'm a disc trainer. And so okay. in my, in my training, there's a certain grouping and I always say they are glue when they're on yes. your team, they bring all these wandering parts. Exactly. They're the glue that brings them together. And all I could think of that's the nurturer. They that are really good. Really good. They are. Um, if you want me to, so the creative is yep. the champion of innovation, future thinking, right? This is the person, this is the ideas person, right? It doesn't mean creative, doesn't mean artistic. Creative happens to be my foundational voice and I can't draw a straight line. It is someone that is always thinking kind of the mantra of the creative is what does better look like? Mm. Right. So they're just constantly thinking, here's an idea. Could we do this? What how would this look better? Right. Very, very creative problem solvers. The guardian is the champion of due diligence, systems and processes. Right. The guardian is that person on the team that says, hey, creative, that's an amazing idea. Here's the 67 things that have to happen in this sequence for that idea to come to life. Right. And they're thinking through, are we doing things where there's a replicable system and process that we can grow? The connector is a very forward thinking person, similar to the nurture. It is all about connecting with people. But the con the connector is all about uh, these relational networks. They just seem to have the capacity to be able to manage a lot of relationships, connect people to their passions, rally people to a great cause. They tend to be very persuasive and inspirational communicators. And they also are the champion of internal collaboration. Mm -hmm. They're the ones that can rally and galvanize a group. You know, come on team, we can yeah. do it. We're going to, we're going to get it done. And then finally, the pioneer, you can imagine um, just even hearing the word, this is this champion of strategy right? A focus on results, right? This is that person that has peered out into the future. They've been able to see. I often compare the pioneer to if you study history and you think about Lewis and Clark, right? Yep. Those explorers yep. were sent out. But Mike, what they did so beautifully is they, they drew what they saw. They brought back artifacts. And in essence, they were saying, we've seen what's out West and it's amazing. Now you all come. And they wanted to rally people to go to what they had seen. Mm. And that's really that pioneer. That's so good. Is there a test that you guys give out on this? And where can people get that? There is, and it's actually complimentary, and I would love for your listeners to do it. I'll I'll say it, and then, Mike, maybe in the show notes, I'll, yep. I'll give you the link. But if you're listening and or happen to want to jot it down, you would just say www.giant.tv forward slash, and then the name of my company, Hollis strategies. Perfect. And so we'll put the link in the show notes, but people yep. can go out there. All they're going to have to do, it's, I think it asks for your name and email address, but then they'll send you that assessment and then it's going to come back. It'll tell you what that foundational voice is. And then just give you a lot of additional information that'll just help you maybe get some new insights yep. to your uh, leadership and communication style. It's so true because you hear these things over and over and over. And right. the key is, is that you get it and that right. you un not only understand you, but you understand the people around you. When I understand, oh, so that's why they're a nurturer. They don't like big environments. They want to huddle up and get two or three close friends. I'm a connector. So my, 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 uh, my relationships may not always run as deep, but there's always somebody I might know in a city. And so it's just the way it's just so funny. It's just how you're hardwired. Exactly. But do you know what, Mike, when people will embrace this, uh, the question I often will ask leaders is this, what would it look like if every voice around your table felt heard, hmm. valued and appreciated? What would happen? Now, I think you noticed, I did not say, and we all agree. Uh, right. My business mentor says to me, Holly, the only decision that a leader should make by consensus is where are we going to eat lunch today? 
right? Yeah. Consensus is not the goal. But think about it. If I have created an environment that every voice around my table would say, I was heard. Because think about it, Mike. A lot of people are speaking. Just because you're speaking does not mean you were heard. That's right. Those are not synonymous. But I was heard. There was some weight given to what I had to say. Somebody was interested in my perspective. They placed a value on that. They might vehemently disagree, but they could at least say, but that's an interesting perspective. I can have an appreciation for that. I can have a respect for that. Mike, when a leader is able to do that, this is the this is the power of it. It's because at some point that leader is going to have to land the plane and make a decision. Mm-hmm. If everyone, quote unquote, around the table thought they were their opinion was heard, it was valued, respected, there was some appreciation. The leader might decide to go in a different direction, but people can still get on board and move forward because they thought but there was weight given to what I had to say. I kind of understand the context. I understand why the decision was made. Now I'm going to lock arms and we're going to go out there and get this thing done. What happens is if a leader does not do that, then they have what Pat Lencioni calls is artificial harmony. Yep. Right. They didn't really wrestle. People didn't really feel like they were heard. So what happens is you leave the meeting and the leader thinks everything's in good shape. But in essence, everybody's having all these sidebar conversations going, yeah, we'll see how that works out. And there's skepticism, cynicism, and we don't want that. We're not trying to get everybody to agree, but we are trying to make sure, is every voice around the table heard? Does it weigh into our decision making? And then are we able to lock arms and go forward? This is gold. And I want you to know that that. Number one, you're making a difference in the in the environment God's placing you in. But today, I think there's probably a lot of new people that are exposed to you and what you're doing. God has uniquely equipped you. God has uniquely designed you, put you together, used your experience. We 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 say a phrase. It's so funny when you said it earlier. We say a phrase almost on every episode and probably almost on every Sunday at my church, God never wastes our time and he never wastes our experiences. And there's no doubt about it that God has uniquely put you in this world. When Connie called that out of you for that position, God tapped her on the shoulder to tap you on the shoulder. You, She was obedient. You were obedient. What do you pray is the mark that you make on this world that God created you to make. He may not have created everybody to make walking into hotel conference rooms, walking into boardrooms, walking into CEOs offices. What do you think is the creative thing that God meant for you to make and the difference for you to make that maybe nobody else was called to make? What would you say? I don't know if it's completely unique, but if, if we're talking about assessments, if you if anyone's familiar with Strengths Finder, one of my top strengths, Mike, is developer, and so I can go back and I can see this thread in my life that I, my hope and my prayer, Mike, is that there are people that are out there today, that they themselves are in leadership positions, they're flourishing in their career. And at some point, my life intersected with them. And that I helped launch them and their leadership Mm -hmm. journey. I encouraged them. I helped equip them. I believed in them. And that now they're fulfilling their purpose. It's that whole piece, that um, kind of that whole piece of developing. And I think the last thing I would say, Mike, is is back when I was in college, a woman came to our church and just was praying over me. And she said, Holly, as I pray for you, I just get the sense that in your life, God is going to use you to bring healing mm. to other people. Mm. And Mike, when I got my nursing degree, that happened in a very literal sense. Yep. But then as I've gone on and done other things in my career, I believe at the heart of what I do, 
it's bringing healing to relationships. It's bringing healing into a team. Can that team actually function at a higher level? Um, can there be reconciliation, right? And redemption in situations. You were talking about what does a leader do that they feel like they've kind of obliterated a lot of their trust and how can they rebuild that? I want to feel like in some in some way, God used me to bring healing and wholeness to other leaders, to teams and to companies, because I think that's so much the heart of our Heavenly Father. You know, I didn't know anything about the five voices until I sat down and started working through all my stuff with Holly. And it has been something our team has used like crazy at North Star. We will put some links in our show notes from uh, our episode today for getting in touch with Holly and being a part of that. Just so, so good and so, so rich. And I think for so many of us, when we can figure out who we are and we can figure out how we're created and the way that God wired us together, we're just going to be so much more effective. Well, in our next episode, we're going to continue in this great leadership pipeline by sitting down with Scott Wozniak. Scott is another great leader who's helping build brands and helping leaders build brands worth talking about. He spent many years with Chick-fil-A and has studied some of America's greatest brands and now is helping others build those brands personally and professionally. It's going to be a good one. Well, once again, thanks for joining us today. I pray that now you can go be the leader that you were created to be in the space and place that God put you, and let's make a difference. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.